Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a series of programs on the subject of baptism, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, in the previous program, I was talking about the definition of baptism, and I was explaining that the reason why there is a lot of confusion concerning the subject of baptism is because this word, baptize or baptized, has not yet been translated. What we have in the New Testament is a transliteration. We do not have a translation. Now, in the previous program, I was explaining that the reason why I believe people have failed to translate this word is because it has become an ordinance, it has become a ritual. And in order to support the mysterious nature of this ritual, in order to support the mystique behind it, and the necessity for religious leadership to be available to perform this ritual, in order to enforce that, I believe this word was not translated so that people could create this religious experience that requires the supervision and the exercise of the leadership over the people in order to justify the necessity for the leadership to be in your life. This, of course, is just my opinion, but I do believe that there needs to be some explanation for why people have intentionally failed to translate this word. And in exploring this issue, I have not found a satisfactory explanation from anyone as to why people have failed to translate this. And so the only reason that can remain is a reason that suggests that it was intentionally not translated, and this has been perpetuated for a long time, that people have failed to translate this word. Now, this should not be too much of a surprise to you. It shouldn't be too much of a surprise. Have you never been in a church service when a pastor has been speaking, or a minister has been speaking, or a priest, or somebody, and they say something that sounds like this? Now, in the Greek, it says this. Why would they have to say, in the Greek, it says this? Why wasn't it just translated that way into English when the translation was written? Why is it that we have to give an explanation like that? Well, the reason why is because of the failure to translate correctly. That's why. It is because of a failure in translation. And these failures are not always academic mistakes. Sometimes they're religious biases that are imputed within the translation by the translators. Now, when I talk about the word baptism and say, in the Greek, it means this, why is it that people feel troubled by that? Let me ask the question a little bit differently. Why is it that your pastor can say, in the Greek, it says this, but I'm not allowed to say, in the Greek, it says this? Why is it that they are allowed to get away with translating a word or a phrase or a sentence or a verse, and I'm not allowed to get away with translating, properly translating a phrase or a word or a verse? That doesn't make any sense to me. And so it's my opinion that this was intentional, and this has been perpetuated ever since the intentional failure to properly translate this word. 
Now, in bringing this up, it's very important to then reconsider the existence of the translations that we have. Why is it that no one has done a better translation than what we have today? There's a very simple explanation for this, and it has to do with sales. It has to do with money. First of all, there is a tremendous cost involved in translating the scriptures. A tremendous cost, a huge cost. It requires a significant amount of time. It requires a lot of effort. A lot of labor is involved in translating the scriptures, the entirety of the scriptures. For somebody to do that, it would require compensation of some kind. Someone has to pay for that. Either the person who is translating has to pay for that, or somebody else has to pay for that. And that payment can be provided by the translator's savings. Maybe someone could save enough money to reserve their own time to be able to do that. Or it has to be paid for by somebody else's savings, by someone who is willing to invest money that they have saved into someone else's labor so that they can perform work like that. And I've got to tell you, there's a tremendous cost involved. I personally have done calculations to try to determine what it would cost to translate, to provide a better translation from the Old Testament. I have a number of manuscripts that I personally would like to translate, but I don't have the resources in order to take the time to do that yet. I have done calculations, and I have a good idea what it would cost to do this kind of work, and I can tell you that it does cost a lot. If you're not able to invest in the work yourself and you're not able to find others who are willing to invest in the work, then you have to rely on sales after the work has been done. But if a translation comes out of the Bible in modern times, what do people do with that? I'll tell you what people do with that. They obtain a copy of the new translation. And what do they do? They put it on the desk right next to a copy of one of their older translations, something like the King James Bible. And then they compare the two. And if the new translation deviates too much from the older translation, then they will consider the new translation to be heretical. That is what happens. That's exactly what happens when a new translation comes out. It happens all the time. New translations do come out with some changes, some adjustments, trying to make the language a little bit more modern or paraphrasing things in order to make things easier to read. And when this happens, there's always this huge uproar, this huge uproar in the religious community that it deviates too much from the existing translations. And maybe they're right. Maybe the new translations are wrong. I personally have not done an exhaustive study on all the new translations that have come out in recent times. They could very well be correct, but in other cases they might be wrong, and maybe the newer translation has a better translation. But when it comes to the subject of baptism, and it comes to this word baptism, what do you think is going to happen when the word is translated correctly? And the proper way to translate this word is to call it immerse, that these people were immersed. They were immersed in water. That's what the word meant. What do you think would happen if somebody came out with a Bible and actually translated that word? There would be a huge uproar. Pastors and priests and ministers and even the people would go bananas over that and say this deviates too much from the scriptures and it's going to take away our ritual. It's going to take away our process by which we convert people. Yes, it might take away a few things from you. That's true. But that's the problem is that people are hanging on to things that are going to be taken away from them if the truth is revealed. Now, think about that for just a moment. That if the truth is revealed, it's going to take something away from people that they are not willing to let go of. That's why it's so difficult to present this subject in the context of the truth, because people are not interested in the truth, at least not that much. 
They may be interested in some of the truth, but not necessarily all of it, because it will compete with things that people are not really willing to let go of for other reasons besides their interest in the truth. The word baptism, the word baptize, comes from the word baptismo. There are other words, nouns such as baptisma, baptismos, the verb baptizine. I'm very confident I'm not pronouncing that word correctly. It's all Greek to me. It comes from the Greek, but the word needs to be translated, and the proper translation is immerse. All right, I'm going to come back to the implications of what it means to use the word immerse in just a few minutes. Before I do that, I need to talk about this idea of being baptized or immersed in the name, in the name of someone, because this discussion eventually evolves into a discussion of being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or being baptized in the name of Jesus. Do we need to be baptized in one or in the other? In what name are we to be baptized? This is where this discussion eventually goes. Now, there are a couple of ways to consider this issue. The first way that we need to consider this issue is to consider that people are using these phrases as if they are magic words. Now, I am exaggerating a little bit to use that phrase, magic words, but there are a number of people who use this concept of in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, or in the name of Jesus, as if these are magic words. People are concerned about being baptized using the proper words and the proper procedure and having it done by the proper person and having the water at the proper temperature, all these proper things. There are many people who are really interested in these kinds of details. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm only saying that this is a big issue. And because of the way this issue has been addressed, the phrases have become, to some people, magic words. In other words, if people don't use these words, then there is a concern as to whether or not a person can actually be saved. Why? Because of the power of the words. Sometimes they're concerned about the meaning of those words, but not as much as using the words themselves. And so when people are discussing the issue of in what name or in what names are we to baptize, to me what they are really discussing is what magic words are we going to use in order to ensure that this conversion is done correctly. That's what it seems to mean to some people, and I'm not saying that you personally think of it that way. You probably don't. However, I want you to know that even if you don't, there are other people who do, other people who are around you, who do believe that. If you were to confront them and ask them, do you believe that these words are just kind of magic words or something? They're sort of like a hocus pocus or abracadabra or something like that? Is that what you think? People are going to deny it. Don't get me wrong. They will deny it. They will say quite sincerely that they don't look at it that way. But if you were to consider the way that they live according to their beliefs, if you were to consider the way that they approach this phrase and how they utilize this phrase, in effect, is very similar, if not the same thing. So when it comes to this idea of being baptized or immersed in the name of someone, this has to be defined. This has to be understood. What does it mean to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit or to be baptized in the name of Jesus? Well, instead of getting preoccupied with whether or not we are to use Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus, regardless of that, let's take a moment to consider what it means to be in the name. 
Now, I want you to know that this idea of being in the name, in the way that people are using it, is a very new concept. It has no basis in Judaism. That's what I mean when I say it is a new concept. It has no basis in the time of the Lord Jesus. This is something that evolved after the time of the Lord Jesus. After the time of the Lord Jesus, this phrase, in the name, became two things. First of all, it became an expression to say that somebody has the authority to baptize on behalf of the living God. That they are baptizing in the name in the sense that they are the representatives of God. And they are doing so in the name of Jesus. The second way that this is viewed, and sometimes both of these go together, but the second way that this is viewed is that you personally are embracing the living God, and you are doing so by your own decision, by your own actions, and you are following through with the authority that your God has given to you to believe and to respond to the gospel, that you can be a believer because of the authority that has been granted to you by the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, or by the Lord Jesus. In other words, the idea of in the name means a transference of authority. If I was to be the representative of somebody else in a transaction, as an example, if somebody wanted me to go and engage in a contract on their behalf, then they would give me the authority to sign or to agree to the terms of that contract on behalf of the individual. And I've done this in other forms of employment that I have had in the past, that I had this kind of authority that I could engage in contracts on behalf of other people. But I did that in the name of someone else. So these are the two ways that it was viewed after the time of the Lord Jesus, that it was an expression of authority or that something could be done in the name of the living God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, or the Lord Jesus, that it could be done because of the authority that was given by him for you to be able to believe so that you can be saved in response to the truth that is revealed to you. That's what it meant after the time of the Lord Jesus. But let me talk about the time of the Lord Jesus. I'm going to talk about that for a few minutes. To explain this from the perspective of the time of the Lord Jesus, I need to start with the time just before the Lord Jesus, and then I can go back to what it would mean when Jesus was baptized and the disciples were baptized and the disciples were baptizing others. I need to go back to when baptism was first established. When baptism was first established by the Pharisees as a means of converting a Gentile to Judaism, They were baptizing people, but the question needs to be asked, in what name were they baptizing? Were they baptizing in the name of Moses? Were they baptizing in the God of the Old Testament? Were they baptizing in the name of the rabbis? Were they baptizing in the name of the high priest? In whose name were they baptizing? If it is so important to be asking the question, in whose name should we be baptizing people? If that's so important, then we should also ask the question, who were the Pharisees baptizing people into? Into what name were the Pharisees baptizing people? Well, the answer to this question is, no one. There was no such thing. There was no such thing when baptism was established. And I explained the history of baptism in the first two programs in this series. When the Pharisees baptized people, there was no such thing as baptizing people in the name of anyone. It had nothing to do with that. It had absolutely nothing to do with in the name of anyone. That is the history of baptism. 
that when this was first started, no one did any baptisms in the name of anybody. There was no such thing. A person was immersed in water. Somebody supervised that. Somebody witnessed that. That was it. There was nothing more to it than that. How about later on when John the Baptist came on the scene? When John the Baptist was baptizing people, the people already knew about baptism. They already understood what baptism was, what it was for, why people did it. People knew that it was a way for a Gentile to be converted to Judaism. When John the Baptist started baptizing people, it was a new thing in the sense that Jews were being baptized, suggesting that they were just as unclean as the Gentiles or that they needed to be converted to the God of Israel just as the Gentiles did, that they were just as sinful, that they needed to recommit, rededicate. They needed to pursue a life of repentance and obedience. When John the Baptist was baptizing people, did he baptize people in the name of Jesus? No. Did he baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? No. Did he baptize people in the name of Moses? No. He didn't baptize anybody in the name of anybody. There was no such thing. It did not exist. It did not exist when John was baptizing people. He was sent by God to baptize people. If you were to ask him, in whose name are you baptizing? He would say, I am a representative of the true and living God. And he has told me to do this. And so I am doing this. And I have the authority to do this because I am doing this in his name as his representative, fulfilling his command to me. That would be the extent of John baptizing in the name of anyone. For him to say that he was baptizing in the name of the living God would be to say that he is doing so out of the authority, that he has the authority to do so because the living God told him to do that. That's all that it means. It does not mean anything more than that. So when the disciples were baptizing after Jesus was identified as the Messiah, in whose name were they baptizing? Were they baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Or in the name of Jesus? No, there was no such thing. It did not exist. They were simply participating in the act of encouraging other Jews to repent from their sins and live in obedience to Moses. There was no such thing of being baptized in the name of anyone in the same way that people are talking about it now. There was no such thing back then. What people have created now, or what people are believing now, has no historical foundation, has no historical relevance before Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. Now, when Jesus issued the Great Commission, the Great Commission is described in Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18, where it says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always. For Jesus to encourage them to baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, does that mean that he gave them the magic words? Is that what this means? Does this mean that they now have the magic words by which they can save people? No, it doesn't mean that. Of course it doesn't mean that. The words Father, Son, Holy Spirit, baptizing people in the name of Jesus, none of that means anything. 
The real issue is not whether or not you are baptized in water, whether you are immersed in water. The real issue is are you resurrected? Have you been resurrected by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit? It is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that saves an individual. So why would Jesus say this? What would this mean? Well, there are two ways that I believe we can view this. The first way is to consider the context that is presented in verse 18. And that is that all authority has been given to Jesus, and he is now asking us to immerse people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the sense that we now have the authority given to us to immerse people on behalf of or for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That that's one way of looking at this, that we have the authority to immerse an individual on behalf of the Lord in water. That's one way of viewing this. I don't want to exclude that. I personally do not believe that that is his emphasis. However, I'm willing to say that as one of the options in terms of what he was intending to say. The other way to view this is to consider the word immerse. To translate this word baptizing, if you can consider the translation of this, it would say, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, immersing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. If we translate the word baptizing to immersing, which would be appropriate, if we are going to translate the whole sentence from Greek into English, let's do it and not just leave a word out. That would mean immersing them in the name, not in the sense of having the authority to immerse them, but instead in the sense of instructing them in the knowledge of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Immersing them in the sense of submerging them in the knowledge. This is an interpretation that is used in other aspects of life. For example, students are sometimes immersed in their studies. Others can be described as being immersed in their work. But for me to say that I'm immersed in my work doesn't mean that I take my entire library, jump in it, and ensure that I get totally submerged under all of my books. That is not what it means to be immersed in your work. So also, to be immersed in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that you're immersed in water. It means that you are immersed in a knowledge, in a study, in a pursuit of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I personally believe that that is probably what he was saying. But if we assume that Jesus was saying directly that they are to immerse people in water then that's fine. There's another way that I can perceive this. It's not as though I'm excluding that as a possibility. I'm only saying that my bias is, my personal bias, is that he's talking about the knowledge. If we assume that he's talking about water baptism, then I believe we can understand this more in the context of verse 20. In the context of verse 20, he says that the disciples are to be teaching people, disciples of all nations, to observe all that he commanded. Now, I don't see any direct evidence that Jesus commanded people to be immersed in water. But what I do see is that Jesus commanded people to live in obedience to the Mosaic law. And I personally can see him encouraging people to continue to live in obedience to the Mosaic law and that he would encourage the disciples to continue to teach people to live in obedience to the Mosaic law. If they are of other nations, if they are of other ethnic groups, then yes, they should be immersed as part of the conversion process to become Jews, to become a part of the nation of Israel, just like the disciples and others experienced this conversion 
process so that they can be officially recognized as members of the nation of Israel and then proceed to live a life of obedience to the law of Moses. Why would he encourage this? Especially when the new covenant is about to go into effect? Because the old covenant can still be used to guide a person and instruct them in their need for salvation. It will lead them to the point of total and absolute despair so that they can be ready to receive the grace and mercy of God. This is an important experience that everyone needs to have, regardless of whether they are part of the nation of Israel or not. And so to summarize this, I'd like to emphasize that yes, if Jesus was telling the disciples to continue to encourage everyone that they would come in contact with to live in obedience to all that he commanded, then he would be encouraging people to live in obedience to all of the Mosaic law. And if they are going to do that, then yes, it would be appropriate for them to initiate this experience by being baptized in water as the disciples were as a means of rededicating their lives and recommitting their lives Or if they are a Gentile, they can then be converted to Judaism. But that's the point, is that for him to encourage people to be immersed in water is to encourage people to live in obedience to the Mosaic law under Judaism, under the Old Covenant. And this can be effective to lead a person to the New Covenant. But once the New Covenant is exposed and understood, a person will then live in a completely different way of life. And as we see in the book of Acts, eventually it is discovered that a person does not need to first become a Jew in order to become a new creation in Christ Jesus in order to be saved according to the restoration of the Holy Spirit. And that's the point. And so I personally do not believe that Jesus is now instituting a new religious procedure No one was baptized in the name of anyone when the Pharisees established baptism to convert a Gentile to Judaism. John the Baptist did not baptize in the name of anybody. The disciples did not baptize in the name of anybody. And so I don't believe that Jesus is instituting a new baptism in the name of anybody either. Instead, I see him encouraging people to be immersed in the knowledge or an alternative is to be committed to the law of Moses to lead you to the new covenant. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you,